Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Natalie Moore, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. Coming up on the recap, Illinois remains a monkeypox hotspot. There have now been more known cases of monkeypox diagnosed in the United States than in any other country worldwide. In Chicago, the numbers continue to grow as well. Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger faces backlash for his comments at the January 6th hearings. A group of ultra-conservatives aligned with Bailey are calling on the state GOP to censure Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger. They're outraged at his comments during the House January 6th committee hearings. I have dealt with Adam Kinzinger on my own. I've made my statements. I don't agree with anything that Adam Kinzinger stands for. Soldier Field could be undergoing some big changes. Former Illinois Governor Pat Quinn is proposing an ordinance that would prevent selling the naming rights to Soldier Field. And Mayor Lori Lightfoot is taking steps to protect abortion rights. Mayor Lightfoot wants to ensure that people seeking an abortion or people providing an abortion know that Chicago is a safe place to do that. Our panel today is Paris Schutz, WTTW correspondent and co-anchor of Chicago Tonight, Justin Kaufman, Chicago-based reporter for the news website Axios, and Rick Pearson, chief political reporter for the Chicago Tribune. They're here to break down those stories and more. We're going to start off with an executive order that Mayor Lightfoot signed yesterday, strengthening abortion rights. Let's take a listen. And while we cannot stop anti-abortion states from trying to take action in court against providers or patients in Chicago, we can ensure that as a city government, we are never complicit in aiding and abetting those efforts. Justice, can you give us the yeah, just, yeah the details? Yeah, I mean, she said it all right there. I mean, it's 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 not unlike some of the other things that have been executive orders in Chicago, with sanctuary city, things like that. Uh, right now, I mean, this is going to be a, a, a the battlefield when it comes to reproductive rights and abortion is about how different states uh, are welcoming to people out of state who might be coming to to get access to abortion services or, as as the, the clip mentioned, the idea of providers, people, doctors who might spend time in the state of Illinois, the city of Chicago. So this is to to quell those fears that you have collar states. I mean, we're talking about Missouri, Indiana, uh, uh, Iowa that have Wisconsin. very di- Wisconsin, very different ideas of of abortion rights and and restrictions to to that, and are are trying to find ways to say to their citizens, you can't go across the border. So this is a way for Chicago once again to be welcoming and to and and in a way to say, you know what, bring that business, bring that here. Any other thought? What do you well, think, Well, yeah, and, and if, if some of these states uh, make good on their vows to investigate women who uh, to uh, go across the border, what, what she's saying is, you know, the police department, we're not going to cooperate in any of that. If they, if, if they want to subpoena records or something, you know, the women that come here uh, to Chicago, they're, they're free to come here and do what they want, and we will not be any part of those states' uh, you know, launching any kind of probes into that if they if they make good on that and, and the legality and the constitutionality of that uh, of what they vowed to do is is really in question too. I think we're going to see more orders, not just from Chicago, but this is going to come up in the state legislature. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we already know that this is one of Pritzker's biggest uh, agenda items is uh, protecting 
uh, abortion rights in the state. I mean, it's enshrined in state law. Uh, we're going to have a special session where they're probably going to try to do more about protections for people coming across state lines, for uh, doctors, others. You're also seeing it in a in a kind of a corporate environment, too, of trying to market Illinois to corporations yep. for their employees that they know that they have those rights in, tr- in a state rather than what you may be seeing in Indiana, which is now trying to be as restrictive as it can in its legislative actions. There's a little bit of politics here on the mayor's part, though. This this is an ordinance that the progressive older people had proposed a while back. She hadn't really done much with it. And then, you know, this week she announces it's going to be an executive order. And there's some of those progressive older people saying, well, why didn't you work with us when you know, when when we had proposed this uh, and she says, well, you know, it's it's so urgent right now. We can't wait. You know, the city council is not going to meet until September. We got to do it now. So there's, there's always a little bit of, you know, kind of poking and, and, and prodding between Lightfoot and, and some of the more progressive members. Of it was kind council. of low hanging fruit for her to, to, to jump out Absolutely. with this in a city like Chicago. And it's not the first time she, quote unquote, co-opted an idea that was already out there and kind of made it her own. It's happened a few times and it's it's rankled uh, some of the city council. Members. But isn't that the job of a if you're a good mayor? You you say no on the <laughs> to, to any sort of negotiation or cooperation, and then you turn around and do a press conference. And say that was right. my idea, right. and th- that's what you do. I mean, all the all the mayors in Chicago in the last thirty thirty five years have done that, right? Fair point. <laughs> that's politics. <laughs> that's right. Well, there was there was other big news this week about an iconic downtown building. Whether you love or hate it, and I want to know how each of you feel about the Helmet Yan Modernist Masterpiece. The state building, <laughs> James R. Thompson. Uh, Paris, how long has the state been trying to sell this building off? Oh, it, it goes back uh, at least a decade. I mean, I remember in 2003. the— 2003. Yeah, so two decades. Uh, the Rauner administration had basically baked uh, the sale of the Thompson Center into their budget for like something like $300 million when they hadn't even started the process to try and sell it. So it's, it's something that's eluded many uh, administrations— uh, it finally got done. It seems like Google here came in late in the game because there was a tentative agreement with this group called Prime Real Estate Group, uh, and then they got a better deal. Google uh, was interested. So so the state's going to off it for $105 million, $75 million of which they're going to use to take over the former BMO Harris building right across the street on LaSalle. And the big thing here is the state is free of the massive costs it would have been to renovate this building. So that's going to be undertaken mm-hmm. by Prime Real Estate and Google. They're going to they're going to make it some kind of tech mecca now and um you know you ask my personal feelings. I mean I have great memories of just, you know, taking taking the uh, subway and and walking out into the Thompson Center into that atrium and 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 just marveling at it and um you know spending covering City Hall, spending every single day at the food court. I was going to say the food court. <laughs> the Sparrow, you know, uh, you know, meeting Justin at the Sparrow or the Arby's <laughs> or the Walk. But, and that's an open question here with this renovation. Is that public atrium going to remain? Because this has become a really valuable public space for people to congregate, to protest, government, uh, to, to, to use public, you know, restrooms without having to worry about that. Uh, will that be a part of this new building, that that valuable public space? Well, part of it has to be because of the transportation of the trains, hub. Right. And that was always the big kind of catch point in whatever development might be there. So right. at least, you know, there's going to be that kind of public access. But I agree, you know, the amenity of the food court is a, a central gathering area. Right. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, 
Um, and getting your, well, well I, I went there to try to get my license. Yeah. Sure. I mean, it's, it's one of those buildings, too, when you just talk architecturally, that divides Chicago. Because you'll have some that say it's iconic. What a, what a great, mat, like you said, masterpiece, uh, a, a contemporary architecture. Others are like, this is not a good building. <laughs> like, if well, you if actually you, in there, if, it's not. When you look at it, yeah. at the exterior, and yes, even that first view when you walk in the atrium oh, and you're it's looking straight up, up. It's great. Trying to do any work in there is <laughs> I, nuts. The the vento, the HVAC. Yeah, I, I was wondering you know, what the bill is like. How do you? Well, you could tell how the HVAC works by how the carpet's torn up right. from all the dripping of the coolant and whatever else is you know yeah, torn you, up. Yeah, you, you see plaster coming off the walls. You see the carpet, you know, with brown spots and being torn up. And I remember, you know, going to interviewing governors in the governor's office, you know, tucked back, and you can hear what's going on in the atrium from the governor's office. I mean, mm. the the noise travels, which is kind of a charm of that building because it's a public building. So. Like I think there was like a Jesse White tumbler event, or if there's protesters, yeah. you know, the governor working in their office in the Times can hear it, which is which is kind of an amazing thing. Well, so, if, if if people at home are and listening to this driving are like, I can't remember what the inside looks like. Go ahead and rent the film Running Scared with Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines. They were two Chicago cops. It's a very outdated movie. Fun fact: My grandfather was an extra in that movie. Oh, there you go. Oh, ding, ding, ding. The final scene when they they fight the uh, kingpin Jimmy Smith, who is in the movie, uh, it takes place in the Thompson Center with, and there's a lot of Uzis. So we'll just get rid of that part. But there is a lot. You get to see a 1986, 1987 Thompson Center. And it's tailor-made for Hollywood. Yeah, it's great. In its prime. In its prime. It, the building in its prime. Well, I remember there was a meeting between Madigan and Blagojevich. One of the times they were just completely at odds, and we were locked out. Uh, but then across you know, the atrium and the balcony, we could see, because it was a clear window into their office, we could see Madigan and Blagojevich you know, <laughs> just kind of cordially talking. It was just like anyone's guess as to what they were talking about. But again, I mean, it's it's it, that's part of the charm of that building. Rick, what does this say about confidence in the central business district for the Loop? Well, I, I do think that's a, a major, major boost to it, and especially at a time when you're looking at uh, still a less than full recovery from the pandemic, the atmosphere of jobs that have changed as a result of the pandemic and and the lack of necessarily being in the office five days a week, those kinds of things. And, you know, when you, frankly, when you look at State Street or North Michigan Avenue and you see the retail uh, collapse that's kind of occurred, uh, to have this kind of a, a investment in in the loop is, I think, a very, very valuable thing. And it's the second big uh, company. I mean, Facebook relocated to that building on Franklin a couple months ago, that uh, same idea that they were going to bring in a, a lot of different uh, uh, people who were working remote, but they're going to have hybrid, they're going to be there. But it is interesting to see that Google and Facebook are, are doubling down on their investment in Chicago because they both had places uh, out in Fulton Market, which is just to the west. But now which they bringing, will keep. They'll keep, it, right. they'll keep. The old Fulton uh, cold storage building is the Google building now. Yeah. But when you look, when you go now, they're, they are looking at, at, at you know more of a tech footprint in downtown Chicago, which I, I think we're all for. I think Google Just, said, oh, I'm sorry, I was going to say the, the main selling point was the access to transit, the fact that you've got that superstation right there, which is a sign that maybe the loop, you know, has a, a rebirth uh, in, in the offing here because of all, because of its location, because of the great real estate, because of all the transit there, and people were writing the loop's obituary, and 
Google's making a bet that the yeah. loop, look at what happened to the West Loop. You know, they're making a bet that maybe that's going to be the loop now in the next five, ten years. Now, will Ronnie's stake come back? <laughs> well, <laughs> that, I don't remains know. To be seen. <laughs> Justin, remains to be seen. Yes. another building, Soldier yeah. Field. Oh, right. What's going uh, we can on with talk the about that plan. for the whole hour. So a, a, a fascinating week in Chicago history. I, I think, a, you know, for the, the mayor to get up and, and have this press conference about renovate three different ideas to renovate Soldier Field, namely to try and keep the Bears uh, at Soldier Field. Maybe not because one of the ideas was to be a, a soccer stadium in a, in a live event space. Uh, it, it, it shows a lot of, of what I like about Chicago at times like this, where they're, they're thinking big. Now, whether or not, they could pay for that. Make no or not. small plans. Yeah, exactly. Is that what it is? But, I mean, all of that stuff needs to be worked out, and we'll—I'm sure—we'll bounce that around on this this uh, this roundtable. But it's a, it's an impressive it's an impressive idea to renovate that stadium, whether the Bears are there or not. If the Bears leave, I'm not sure if there's going to be an appetite for it for Chicagoans to put taxpayer money into making the museum campus much more accessible. But you know, if you're if you're looking at it as just a you know, I want to try and keep a, an NFL franchise in town, you could do a lot worse than the plans that have been put out by uh, the city and those developments. Well, let, let's hear from um, Mayor Lightfoot about it. I think that there's no possibility they're not going to consider this plan. They would be foolish not to. And Justin, how have the Bears reacted they to did, this proposal? They haven't. I, I mean, we can talk about this. It's interesting. They they keep referring back to a statement that said the only de- uh, you know uh, stadium development plan we are are uh, thinking about right now is Arlington Heights, and so they haven't. And I don't know if that means that you know this was done. She's uh, the mayor at the press conference said she talked to the Bears in the last couple of weeks. I, I don't think they were blindsided by the idea that this was coming out. We all knew a committee was was going to put these plans out. But right now the Bears are, are looking at their future. And they're, they're, they're big money to think about going from a city-owned, park district-owned stadium to Arlington Heights, which they, is, they would own, own it. it. And it's hundreds and hundreds of acres more than they could have in Soldier Field. Okay, yeah, Paris, and, and, what's, what's Pat Quinn up to? Well, Pat this? Quinn wants to, he's uh, putting a petition getting, out there. Getting attention getting is attention, what he's up yeah, to. Getting attention, say, yeah, saying that if you do renovate the stadium, you have to keep, uh, you can't sell naming rights. It's always got to be Soldier Field to honor uh, lost veterans. Uh, and that's actually some, similar to what Mayor Daley did 20-some-odd years ago when Right after 9-11, the Bears did want to sell the naming rights. And he's, well, after 9-11, you can't, you can't sell the naming rights now. Soldier Field, we got to honor the troops. That's a and really it, good impression, and, by the way. Yeah. Really not, yeah, yeah, up and, not bad. And, and the Bears, that's how I actually really talk when I'm not in my broadcast. <laughs> so, the, so the Bears couldn't explore naming rights. But Justin's right. The Bear, This is too late. And it's too late in the game. The Bears want control. So in this is a nice design. But the thing is, the Park District would still own this building. And the Bears have gotten sick of dealing with the city. Dealing with the park district, look what it got us. It got us the flying saucer uh, over Soldier Field. By by the way, that happened 20 years ago, and the hotel tax is still going to pay for about $640 million more in principal and interest for that renovation. But it's not just about dealing with the city. You're talking about the National Football League, right. the most prosperous sports league in the United States, if not the world. It's about owning, and it's about right. profiting. right. And given the constraints, the Bears want to own yeah. everything. They want to own a facility that can be used year-round that they can get revenue from. They want to own the land around it that they can build entertainment right. venues, a Hotels. residential right. hotel. And Mike Dick at theme park. That they, <laughs> that they can get revenue 
we talked about Google taking over the Thompson Center and Mayor Lifeless' proposal to bring a dome to Soldier Field. <laughs> yes, indeed. I've got more to say. But but I'm, I'm, I'm not I know, done. I know. I know. I know. I know. We're not going to talk about wings, Rick. <laughs> the National Democratic Party officials were touring Chicago this week. Why were they here? And what was on their itinerary? Well, one of the things that the Democratic Party has done under its chairmanship of Robin Kelly is try to make a bigger national footprint in party affairs. Uh, Under Mike Madigan's decades-long leadership of the Democratic Party, it was basically an appendage of the House Democratic organization and machine under Madigan and a fundraising machine to reelect Democrats to the House to keep him as Speaker. Uh, After he resigned under scandal, uh, Robin Kelly was elected, and Kelly has worked with national officials to make Illinois' Democratic Party more in line with how Democratic Party organizations work around the country. And that included putting in, uh, working with Pritzker and Lightfoot and putting in a bid to try to bring the 2024 presidential nominating convention to Chicago. New York, Houston, and Atlanta are also finalists. Nah. As well as to make Illinois an early voting state under a new calendar that Iowa and its uh, ill-fated caucuses appears to be thrown out the window. What's the logic of bringing the convention to a blue state? Well, and that to me still is the big question. And Jamie Harrison, the head of the Democratic National Committee, tried to dismiss those kind of claims saying that, well, Philadelphia, we had it there and we lost Pennsylvania, we had it in Charlotte, we lost North Carolina – and trying to say it's not that big a deal. But it is that big a deal. And that's what makes going to uh, Atlanta or Houston, uh, where the Democrats see an opportunity to make change, a much more, to me, viable location than Chicago, uh, because it gives them that kind of unfettered uh, programming for four or five, six days for a convention. Chicago uh, doesn't need the convincing. And one of the other things that Harrison said was he, he wanted a turnkey operation so that there is no distraction. They can just basically – and Chicago's great at that. We know how to do these things. But that having been said, there's always distractions in Chicago. <laughs> and one of those distractions was while they were putting on their best face behind the scenes, there's a battle for leadership. Um, who is the governor supporting and why? Is, does he want Robin Kelly? Well, when Robin Kelly was elected in March of last year, he beat – uh, Chicago alderman that uh, by very narrow margin that uh, Governor Pritzker had supported. And, you know, there's no such thing as, uh, you know, forget those slights. And so here we're, we have an election coming. We just elected the members of the state central committee in the primary, and they're the ones who get to vote for chairman. It's a four-year term. She, this would be to fill a new term. Created, uh, Kelly was filling out Madigan's term. Uh, and, and now we have Pritzker, who is backing uh, State Representative Elizabeth Hernandez, Lisa Hernandez, from Cicero. And she is uh, gaining a great deal of momentum as we approach a vote on Saturday in Springfield by the new State Central Committee. Bottom line is uh, Kelly was hamstrung by federal restrictions as a congresswoman. That federal law prevents and put limits the amount of money you can raise or where it can come from. So they even had to go to the FEC, the Federal Election Commission, to get a committee structure set up to remove her from that. Pritzker says that's a huge obstacle, et cetera, et cetera. 
valid point, but the bottom line is Pritzker's the governor. He's the de facto leader of the Democratic Party in Illinois. And funder. And de facto uh, funder mm-hmm. of, of, mm-hmm. of the party. And normally governors do get who they want when it comes to setting up a party structure. Well, Rick, you'll know better than anybody in the state of Illinois, This is the Democratic Party usually doesn't have these problems because Mike Madigan was running the party since 1998, and even probably before that, even though that was his, that was his uh, when he took over. But the point being, they didn't have this kind of what, what seems to be friction. And, and the media has really grabbed onto this friction, this, this election, with, with, a, with a governor, with a mayor, with um, uh, most of the, the, the congressional delegation, uh, state party officials. They're all Democrats. Dick yeah. Durbin. And so for them to have this friction where Durbin's on Robin Kelly's side and, and, and others are on the other side, it just it, it seems like they're shooting themselves in the foot when they control most of the state of Illinois. When they have disagreements, they do have firing squads in a circle. <laughs> and and they have and this there have been instances of this in the past and yes you think at a time where you have you know the national democratic party coming in to look at chicago you're looking at a, a time where you have super majorities in the legislature every statewide office uh, you've got the election coming up in november you know, is this really necessary to have this kind of fighting? And, and, and how awkward was it when you saw at that press conference for the convention, Robin Kelly and Pritzker sitting, you know, standing side by side, kind of just kind of, you know, looking away from each other because it's so awkward. And, you know, Pritzker's brought up he doesn't believe Kelly's been able to raise enough money because of the constraints on her as a federal office holder. But I just wonder how much of this is it's ego. Petty. Is ego. Yeah. I mean, yeah, right. it's just, yeah. it's like because Pritzker had his person the last go around, uh, and uh, Durbin and a longtime committee person named Bill Houlihan backed Robin Kelly and they won. And Pritzker's, I wonder if he's just sore saying, you know what? I'm the funder, I'm the governor. The governor is usually the titular head of the party. Um, I should get my person in there. And there, there's been some complaints, though, and, and this has divided the party that, that Hernandez was too close to Madigan. And so they're wondering, well, why why is Pritzker pick, picking someone um, that that was very close with Madigan in the past? Sure. And you're and you're hearing a lot of these little sideshow things yeah. like yeah. that. You're also hearing about how race has been injected yeah. into this, which you know you, there was an argument about here Robin Kelly, first black woman to be head of the Democratic Party, but her opponent is backed by Emmanuel Chris right. Welch, the first black speaker of the Illinois House, who has Elizabeth Hernandez in his leadership team. Yeah. Well, let's. Talk about Republicans now. A group of downstate um, Republicans are calling Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger to be censured. Rick, what are the details here and who's calling for it? So there is a a group of uh, ultra conservative downstate legislators. We've known them for years informally as the Eastern Bloc. They pretty much formalized themselves into this Illinois Freedom Caucus, which, like the Freedom Caucus in the U.S. House, is of the furthest right of the right of members there. And what's interesting about this group is normally what they say is largely discounted, except that uh, Darren Bailey, the Republican governor nominee, is a member of the Eastern Bloc. He's not a member of the Freedom Caucus, but these are his guys. These are all of his allies. So what is he saying about this censure? Is he letting them do his dirty work without jumping in? Well, he said, uh, he did acknowledge that he doesn't agree with anything Adam Kinzinger says. So he went on record with that. But when questions came up about 
uh, there were other things said about the January 6th committee and Kinzinger's role as one of two Republicans on this committee, that basically it's, it's the committee's a sham, that Kinzinger, they're just offering up opinions. And when tried to mm. approach uh, Bailey on this and about have you learned anything from January 6th that might give you pause after having worked so hard to get uh, Donald Trump's endorsement and getting it just a few days before the primary, is there anything from January 6th? Do you believe it's a sham? He, he said, uh, well, that's not why I called the press conference. That's an inappropriate question. So, Rick, you reported mm. on how Bailey's reluctant to talk about Donald Trump, even though he was clearly happy to get the former president's endorsement at the Save America rally in central Illinois just days before the primary last month. Let's take a listen. Darren has my complete and total endorsement. I've made a promise to President Trump that in 2024... Illinois will roll the red carpet out for him because Illinois will be ready for President Trump. So is he still rolling out the red carpet for Trump? Uh, You know what? You will hear that uh, over and over and over again in Democratic advertising. And, yes, he does not want to talk about Donald Trump. He's told his supporters that uh, don't listen to what's going on in Washington, that that's a distraction, that I'm running for governor of Illinois and I'm not running for Congress and stay focused on Illinois issues. So that's his attempt to try to deny talking about things he doesn't want to talk about. But the fact of the matter is he is going to have to talk about this, and he's going to get asked repeatedly about it. And when he tries to shift the subject, we can just point to a press release he put out the next day in which his campaign attacked Governor Pritzker for supporting Joe Biden at a time when we're going through a recession. So if you want to inject national politics into the governor's race, you did that one when you brought Trump into the race. He opened the door. You do not get now you're attacking Pritzker on and, Biden. And he well, begged Paris, for that endorsement. Yeah, so Paris, what are your thoughts on this? Does this surprise you? No, but you know, this 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 is the matchup that Governor Pritzker wanted. This is uh this is Governor Pritzker wanted these things to be in the news. He wanted to be having these battles. He tacitly spent millions of dollars kind of quietly boosting Darren Bailey over Richard Irvin, seen as a more moderate, uh, because they believe that uh, Bailey is completely unelectable in the state of Illinois, and these issues are going to sink him, and they run the numbers, and they say he doesn't come close to having the numbers. And by the way, this echoes a strategy that Democrats have used in other states by boosting more extremist candidates, thinking that it's going to be easier for them to win. There's been a lot of uh, perhaps, you know, analysis out there that they're playing with fire, you know, because if there is a recession, if it gets really bad— you what elect are, one of these. What are voters going to – I mean voters usually want to throw the bums out when, when it's a recession. And, and if yeah. the other person is super extreme, it might not matter. So it's, it's but, like but, – But I just want to say quickly though, while Pritzker wanted this matchup and wanted this discussion, what we are asking are legitimate of journalists course, of course. questions. Yeah. We're not trying to do Pritzker's No, 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 no. It's you bring upon no, yourself the, uh, he, what you there's do. There's no question Bailey brought this upon himself. Well, well, Justin, do you think Bailey can sell himself as – a moderate conservative. No. And and I don't think that that's what he was elected in the primary to do. I mean, if he if he's going to do that, Rick, where he's going to hedge and, 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 you know, skirt the questions that are being asked, especially about his relationship with Trump, it seems to go against what was the playbook to win him an actual right. primary. And, and he will look like Richard Irvin yeah, and did. I don't understand that. So just go in. I mean, if you don't like Chicago, you think Chicago is a hellhole, stay, stick with it. I mean, just stick with it all the way through the general. And I don't and that's the problem I have with politics in general, regardless of party. You're going to play to one set for a primary, and then you're going to start uh, reversing course when you get. You're going to say the most outlandish things about you know uh, that are going to rile up your base or or you know who you think is going to come out in the primary, and then you're going to back off. 
when it comes to July and August? Oh, no, I didn't mean that. I mean, uh, Chicago's great. Like, well, I, I just think go with what you're going with well, and go with he's it. He's clearly not backing off on the issue of abortion. I mean, you'd think that if he had a snail's chance in Illinois, he would have to moderate himself well, on he, abortion. Well, he actually has, because even though he is opposed to abortion except in cases of the health, life of the mother, not the health, mm. but the life of the mother, right? Um, he's now talking about, well, I, I just want to reduce the availability of abortion and bring in the churches and bring in these alternatives. Mm. So even though he does absolutely support overturning Roe v. Wade and everything else with it, he is already moderating his voice on that. Now, part of it is an acknowledgement of you're dealing with a Democratic legislature and what can you accomplish. But at the same time, that does what he's saying doesn't belie his true feelings. Right. Can we well, back we up have, real quick? Well, my we, last we, thing, my last thing, Adam Kinzinger. Ten seconds, Ten Justin. seconds. 2010, he was elected in the Tea Party wave. Think where we are 12 years later that he's the one that, that, that the, right, yeah, the, the, the right of the Republican Party is like, we can't stand this guy. I'm going to close out with you, Paris. What's the latest on monkeypox? Well, uh, it's spreading in Illinois, and the 85% of those cases are in Chicago. There's about 18,000 vaccine doses here. And uh, as a result, it's, it's not enough to meet the demand. So the public health officials are going to prioritize having first shots uh, for those that have been in direct contact with someone um, that, that has monkeypox or thinks they, they might be exposed. Uh, and it's a two-shot uh, vaccine. Uh, but right now, I mean, they, they just need to get more doses. And you've seen uh, lawmakers pleading uh, the Biden administration to send more doses here. And by the way, it's, 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 it's spreading in big cities, uh, San Francisco, New York. They've declared emergencies uh, so, and one dose is effective, but it's a two dose shot. All right. That is Paris Schutz from WTTW. And we've had Justin Kaufman from Axios and Rick Pearson of the Chicago Tribune. Thank you all for joining us. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Thanks. 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 That's it for today's Reset. Stick with this podcast for the week's other top stories. We drop a new episode every weekday afternoon, sometimes on the weekends too. Plus, you can watch the weekly news recap on the WBEZ Facebook and YouTube pages. Check it out. I'm Natalie Moore. Thanks so much for spending your time with us and have a great weekend. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.